all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking, a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever it is, we're here to help. Find out what we're all about and subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning answering your medical questions. That's right. This is the Southern Remedy program where you can call in with any type of medical question that you might have. Hope everybody's having a great Wednesday morning. It is a great springtime out there. Just loving the early morning coolness and uh, not getting too hot yet, but uh, I'm sure that'll change pretty quick. Um, But uh, I hope everybody's having a great springtime. If you're not able to call us, because a lot of uh, people actually had uh, mentioned that by email, the email route is a great way to contact us. We do try to respond to those as quick as we can and to sometimes share those if you give us permission with our larger audience. Uh, listening audience, that email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Hey, Dr. Jimmy. Hey, Kevin. That's Kevin Farrell, our producer. So I've got a little quiz for you to start us off on this Wednesday morning. Uh-oh, I hope I pass. <laughs> Recently, every citizen in New York City was tested for cholesterol levels. What part of the city were the lowest levels recorded in? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, let me see if I can use deductive reasoning for this. So the whole city was, you said the entire state or the entire city? Just all of New York City. New, all of New York City. So which which part of the city had the lowest? Um, huh. Well, if we look at it from a demographic standpoint, I might say Manhattan. All right. Do you want the answer? Sure. I probably got it wrong. <laughs> the answer is Staten Island. Ah, uh, that's Kevin Farrell, always with a good joke. Uh, that is so good. Statins, by the way, for those of you who don't know, are one of the classes of medications used to treat cholesterol problems so uh, and reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke. So that is a good joke. I thought you actually had some good, like real information there, but that is a great joke. Uh, I was all, my brain was, the wheels were turning with like the different demographics in each borough as far as I could recall, but (laughs) that's good. Really good. Does bring up though that, you know, a lot of healthcare plans uh, do include as part of your wellness check, particularly if you're, you know, if you're, uh, as you get older to check your cholesterol levels. And that's a good way to identify your risk along with other things like hypertension, you want your blood pressure, and what are some other things that you can modify, like 
uh, your weight and uh, smoking, uh, for instance, and to plug all those things in and come out with a risk score that can be very predictive of whether or not you will have a heart attack or stroke in the next 10 years. And then you can have a discussion with your healthcare provider about what's best to try to decrease those. And some things might be very intuitive, like if you do smoke, then certainly quitting smoking is an excellent way to improve your health. If you uh, are sedentary and don't really get out much, adding just even a little bit of activity to your day can decrease your risk. And maybe it's modification of some of the things that you're eating. And people always, you know, push back about this, uh, particularly in Mississippi. We uh, love our food. Food is our culture and uh, definitely a part of our culture. And uh, when we start talking about changing it, I always have discussions with people to say, you know what? Just change a couple of things. If you know some things are worse for you to eat, and you may have to do a little bit of digging or get some information on that, some education on what's the best foods to eat, maybe you can substitute some things or cut back on portion sizes. That's another thing we do very well here in the South. I can remember my grandmother around the table. She would be loading up my plate with food, and she would say, just tell me when, and I would say when, and then when she would put like one or two more scoops after that. So just for good measure, to sort of pack it down, I suppose. But um, all those things can be changed or modified um, so that you can enjoy the life that you're living and maybe even have an improved uh, lifestyle health-wise in the days to come so you can enjoy that with others. So just think about that. If you have been resisting going to the doctor for that annual wellness uh, um, that's uh, annual wellness visit that's part of your uh, whatever health care you have. If you don't, there are ways to get that. There are certainly health fairs that have reduced rates and sometimes even free for cholesterol and blood pressure checks. And um, there are also some free clinics in the state that um, they can provide these resources to. So just because you don't have those resources right now, think about ways that you could at least identify that, and it might be worthwhile to go ahead and, and get that checked out. I'm Dr. Jimmy. This is Southern Remedy. We always get a lot of questions about uh, hearing loss and vertigo and ringing in the ears. And all those three things are sometimes... Um, they are associated with one another. Uh, just so happens, I saw a patient yesterday with uh, severe vertigo and a uh, little bit of hear hearing loss, and then also got an email this week about um, a similar case of hearing loss. The ear is very complex, and you know where it sits in our heads is pretty close to the brain, so those nerve impulses don't have to go far. But the mechanism of hearing it depends on air vibrations. And sometimes you can hear things like if you're underwater, it's not air, of course. Uh, it's those vibrations through water. But then there's also ways that you can um, you can hear that through bone conduction. And in fact, there's uh, lots of um, you know there's lots of devices now. If you're swimming, uh, if you're a swimmer, you can actually have bone conduction earphones that actually transmit that through the bones in your head. But those little uh, hairs that help pick up those sounds, they can get damaged over time by loud noises, and uh, you can have lots of conditions, particularly um, chronic infections in your ears that sometimes can damage those. So it's a good idea to have that checked out by the experts, and that may involve getting a hearing screen. Again, you can get that uh, in lots of different places. Sometimes your primary care uh, physician might have that in their office. 
Or you might have to go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor or uh, somebody that works in sort of with them um, to uh, an audiologist to get that screening. And then to look for a cause. Now, a lot of people are afraid of, you know, well, what are we going to find if we go looking for things? And why do they have to do some, so many complicated things, like if they're recommending a CT scan of my head? There is a, a rare uh, but real uh, risk of some types of hearing loss, particularly if it's just one-sided, that there may be something that's growing around that nerve um, that transmit those impulses from your inner ear to your brain. So an acoustic neuroma is a common one. Actually, I have a few patients that have that, and it can be treated. Uh, but that's one of the reasons. Uh, there are a couple of others to get that CT scan if you're having that hearing loss, particularly if it doesn't quite fit. So get that checked out with the ear, nose, and throat doctors. That's their specialty, and um, they have even some subspecialists within that that they might can refer you to, depending on what cause they're thinking might be causing that hearing loss. Let's go to Jenny from Bay Springs. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. Um, I had a stroke about three years ago, and since then, my nerves, seems like in the mornings I get really nervous and dizzy, and um, I'm... The doctor prescribed meloxicam for something different from a, for for a, a torn meniscus in my knee, and uh, I just started taking it. But it seems to be helping with my nerve nervousness. Is that possible? Um, it it's not it's not exactly. Um Jenny, if you could, I think I hear the radio in the background. If you could turn that down, you know, it's not. Um, totally for something like that. It's more for pain relief. Meloxicam is similar to ibuprofen uh, and, um, you know, things that we can, can get over the counter, Aleve, you know, except that it's longer acting. So meloxicam you only have to take once a day, but it's in that same general category. So um, I can't think about that unless there is some type of inflammation that's going on that's causing some of those other symptoms in your inner ear. So that would make the most sense to me if you're taking that meloxicam, maybe that's decreasing that. Um, really, it's great medication. I've taken meloxicam for just general aches and pains, and it's not not that bad. Uh, you you do have to you know let your physician know that you're taking that, just because they may want to monitor your kidney function and your blood pressure, because in some individuals it can damage your kidneys and your blood pressure over time. So, but beyond that, I think it's a, probably a great medication and particularly if you're not necessarily taking it every day to reduce some of those side effects and risk. Uh, but uh, that makes sense, I guess, if you're having some inflammation in, in the inner ear that's maybe causing some of those things. The anxiousness, I don't, I'm not sure how to tie that into it, but certainly the dizziness might, might be because of that. Now, I do have the ring of the ears. I've had that for quite a while. Um, mm -hmm. So you, I, I've been to the ear, nose, and throat guide, and they don't seem to know what's going on, but I may need to go back, like you're saying. Yeah, I probably would, and you may, and definitely let them know that the meloxicam has helped with those other symptoms. It, ringing in the ears is, is fairly common, and sometimes that goes along with hearing loss, and unfortunately, with a lot of patients, it's, it's not well treated, and it's not that well understood about why some patients have that. Now, you're saying can, I'm supposed to take that meloxicam every day, but 
that's not necessarily true. It, it said on there to take it for 30 days. Right. And and usually the way we prescribe it, it's more common to prescribe it for generalized aches and pains like in muscles or in joints. And I, I usually don't do it, you know, unless it, it, it's up in some instances longer than that time period that you, you just told us, it, just because of the side effects. And, and definitely if you're, if you are though, taking that and it's, and your physician's like, yeah, I want you to keep taking it. That's fine. But just make sure that they're checking your kidney function and making sure it's not causing some other problems. Right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls about any kind of health care issue that you might be dealing with. Or if you can't call right now, you can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Alec from Clinton. Good morning, Alec. Hi, Dr. Jimmy. Uh, yes, I'm Alec. I'm 76 years old, a retired male, and I'm concerned about losing what I, what I have left of my mental functions. I've been, you know, memory and clear thinking, stuff like that. Um, I've been listening on public TV to Dr. Daniel Amen and others who recommend, uh, well, a lot of theory about uh, brain loss and all these dents and holes that can come up in the brain. And uh, to prevent that, you should drink green tea and eat lots of healthy stuff. And in his case, also buy, you know, some expensive uh, supplements from him. And so I hadn't done that, but I bought some from somebody else. Uh, <laughs> do you believe there's any veracity to that kind of thinking, these, these holes that can turn up in the brain and the ability to reverse that? Yeah. So, you know, if you if you do MRIs, which is, gives you the most yeah. visual, uh, one, of the, one of the tools that gives you the visual look at what the brain is doing, uh, you can combine that, too, with a PET scan that looks at the metabolic activity of the brain. And over time, we do lose some, some of that mass of the brain. So we lose individual cells. And if you have other conditions, medical conditions, uh, we know that those can um, affect that, too, things like hypertension and diabetes over time. Um, so, yeah, over time it can do that. Now, the function of the brain, sometimes that goes along directly with that brain loss. Sometimes it doesn't, though. And what we know mm -hmm. from large studies tells us that individuals who eat healthy most of their life, there's not any one time that you can't change that. If you're, you know, in your 70s and you're like, you know what, I hadn't really been eating good for 70 years, but I'm going to change now, mm -hmm. you can still get mm -hmm. good positive effects from that. And typically a diet that doesn't have a lot of processed foods or high foods and fat uh, or mm -hmm. high carbs, um, those tend to be some of the, the foods rich in vegetables and, and uh, fruits. Those tend to be a little bit better for brain health um, and your body for, um, and controlling those other things. If you have high blood pressure, controlling that with diet, exercise, and medication is important too. As far as supplements go, there's not really, there's very poor studies on this. Most of it's like anecdotes about, you know, I put my patient on this or I started taking this or started drinking green tea and my memory got 100% better. Um, and you really need large, you know, to show some of the benefits, particularly in this area of research, you need thousands and thousands of people to study something to really show that it actually has a positive effect. And mm -hmm. 
almost all the supplements that I've seen haven't really gotten to that level of evidence. However, mm-hmm. I will usually my patients will ask me, you know, what do you think about me drinking green tea for my mental health? Uh, you know, for my brain brain health, and I'll say, you know what, it's not going to hurt you. It's, you know, green tea seems to be anecdotally good for you. Uh, lots of people around the world drink green tea, and there's small studies that have looked at it, its positive effects, so it's certainly not going to hurt you. But I don't know that you have to go out and buy, you know, lot, spend lots of money buying some of the supplements people uh people tout as being good for you, but exercise, eating right, engaging your brain, particularly socially with other people and in new activities, giving your brain something new to do periodically that you enjoy, those are all things that have been associated with more functionality as we get older. And uh, I think that's much more evidence there to support that than any supplement you see out there on TV. Um, but but it is, you know, I agree, it's harder to do that uh, long term, but that's where you get the most bang for your buck. Great, great. You've answered my question. And it's, for that part, it's mostly anecdotal, but, but good, healthy uh, eating and exercise and so on is the best idea. Absolutely. Okay. All right, Alex. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. Let's go to Jim from Boonville. Good morning, Jim. Yes. How are you yes. today? I am good. What's your question today? Um, I go to the VA. I'm a veteran. I'm 67 years old, and I have a 2020 vision. And once a year, the optom- term, optom- I can't say that word. Ophthalmologist? Anyway, is that that? Ophthalmologist. There yeah. you go. They, <laughs> they look at my eyes, and, man, I've been, they've been bragging on my eyes for years. And the last time I was there, they said that I have a rare disease and uh, said it is called exfoliation syndrome. Um. Of course, I play, you know, talk to Dr. Google and, and stuff like that, but I was just wanting to know if you were aware of that and is there treatment for it and uh, basically what causes it. Yeah, so I am, I'm, I'm not an eye specialist, but I am vaguely aware of this. So, you know, there are certain things, there's lots of things that can go on with your eye, and some of them can be more detrimental than others. There is one that um, that's exfoliative keratosis, I believe, um, that causes some of the layers of, of cells to sort of peel off. And, I, you know, I, I, I think that regardless of what the actual diagnosis is over it's something that has to do with you, the back of your eye, the retina, the inside of your eye, or even the front part of your eye, the best thing is to get you a good ophthalmologist that can treat it or send you to somebody who's a specialist in that area to treat it if there is a treatment or at least to minimize some of the, the you know, problems with it. Um, but I think what you just said, getting, you know, and Google's good. You can get a lot of stuff on online, but that doesn't take the, you know, take the place. You can get also also get some bad stuff online. It doesn't take the place yeah. of talking to somebody who's been trained in the area and who takes care of patients. And, right. you know, particularly being in northeast Mississippi, 
that might involve, you know, going somewhere um, at a regional center where somebody can sort of, you know, look at it and at least give a second opinion on it, particularly if it's something that's affecting your site. And that's one of those things that I tell patients, look, your doctor, your ophthalmologist is not going to think bad of you if you go to somebody at a, at a bigger place uh, that's going to, you know, that's going to be able to give them either corroborate and say, yeah, that's what you got, or, you know, you may want to think about something else. So um, that's what I would do to get more information. And then make sure you ask your eye doctor, how many people have you seen with this? Is there a treatment? What's the treatment? What's the side effects? What's the benefit that I could get from the treatment? Yes, sir. Uh, Normally, they see me once a year and they want me back in a month. This was last week. And yeah, that, that makes sense. Come back in a month, and he brought five different doctors in the building there. Like I said, I used to be a five different eye doctors, and out of the, all five of them, only one had ever seen this condition before. And you know, they were taking like pictures with their phone. But I've got to go back in a month, and uh, I I have a lot of faith in the VA, and uh, if. If it gets above them, they have sent me to the University of Tennessee with a chapter that I had under my eye. And uh-huh. so so I, I have good faith in them. I, I, just, I listen to your program every, every uh, Wednesday, and uh, I, I just thought I'd give you the call there. I, I've never heard of the exfoliation syndrome, and... Uh, so, yeah, if it's if it's stumping a group of ophthalmologists, it's probably going to stump me. <laughs> right, right. I, I understand. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I do understand. But I'm just going to throw it out there, and uh, you never know. Somebody else may be listening. It's already been through this thing. And, that's right. Uh, that's right. And, 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 and I might give us some input. But ask them. Ask them. Stick with your doctors at the VA. But ask them those questions. Though. Say, okay. If this is what it is, when you go back to them, what is is there a treatment? What's the effects of this? What's it going to do to my vision? And um, and see what kind of options you got. Yes, sir. Uh, I do. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jim. Good luck to you. We're going to go to Joseph from Oxford. Good morning, Joseph. What's your question this morning? Good morning. I'm going to be real quick. Was out working in the yard on a Sunday, April 2nd, I think it was. Next day, I'm driving down the, the road, wearing a pair of shorts. It feels like I get two bites in the back of my left leg. Um, and I go home and remark about it to my wife. And then all of a sudden, I've got rashes all over the place, especially on the back of the left knee where I thought these two bites were. And um, it's continued to spread. And I'm being told that it's it's poison, poison ivy. Um, which it might well be because of what I was doing over over the over the weekend. Um, but, but what was remarkable to me is that it seems to continue to spread. I mean, even if we're now eight nine days out, and I'm still having rashes show up on different places. Now it's on on both arms, um, and I thought with clothes and ivy that once you know you wash the oil off from the plant. That you no longer would get uh, a rash from the from the ivy. And of course, like I said, it's been eight or nine days. I've washed everything. I've thrown my shoes away. I've washed my work gloves. So I'm just wondering: is this is this poison ivy, or is it something else? 
Yeah, that's a great question and, and a common one, too. And I've experienced this myself working out in the yard. So usually within a couple of days, uh, 24 to 48 hours, you're going to see if it's poison ivy, that's contact dermatitis. And some people are not as sensitive to the oil that's on the plant. It can be on all of the plant. It can be on the vines, the roots, the the uh, leaves. It actually makes some berries um, in the uh, fall and winter that um, that actually you can get you know, get the oil from there. It's called a ruchiol is the oil. And it causes those blisters that everybody's probably familiar with in the South. Um, and you're right. The best thing to do is to wash that oil off with a detergent and, you know, something like just a liquid detergent that you would use uh, on your dishes. Um, that's probably one of the better things to do. Soap works well, too. And to get it off of everywhere that you have, the, the thing that people sometimes, and it sounds like you already thought about this, some, sometimes forget is the clothes that you had on or the shoes that you had on. You know, some people will go back and put their shoes on. They'll tie their shoes or put their grab their shoes, put them on, time. Well, you just got re-exposed to that oil, and it doesn't take a whole lot. Then wherever you put your hand, that's where it's going to, you know, spread. Now, there is, you know, different parts of the body can have a different reaction. So you may have some parts of the body that may be a day or two after some of the other ones. Um, and there's no real way to predict that. Now, it could be something else that you came into contact with or that you're continuing to come into contact with. Uh, that's always a possibility with contact dermatitis. You have to be a bit of a detective to try to figure that out. But the biggest thing I tell patients is if you've washed everything like you just described and if you've you know, taken care of all the re-exposure type, type things that you, you, you might get into, then um, I would just treat it aggressively with antihistamines. And, you know, people use a lot of topical Benadryl. doesn't work. Don't fool with it. If you're going to take antihistamines, I'd take something by mouth. And I like to use the longer-acting ones like Zyrtec, Allegra, and Claritin. The generic forms of that over-the-counter are perfectly fine. Um, sometimes if it's really itchy, you can add in some Pepsid. That may sound crazy. There, there, some people are like, I'm not having reflux. Uh, Pepsid's actually a histamine inhibitor. Uh, it's just in a different system, so it's it's a little bit different. And uh, histamine is the chemical that that these um, these substances cause the the itchiness to them. And then to use topical steroids, so over-the-counter hydrocortisone, or in some cases, if it's really bad, i got a good friend of mine, and he gets really bad poison ivy um, when, when he gets exposed to it, then you may need a, a prescription steroid to put on top of that. Usually that works pretty well. Um, and um, can can you know cut down on it, but if you're still getting things popping up after a week, like you said, I would get somebody to lay eyes on it just to make sure that it's not something else because it may be something else that you're getting. Uh, certainly, bug bites can look the same and they can cause the same type of reaction. There may be some bug exposures that you're not seeing or uh, that you're getting getting in contact with there. And then there's some other types of skin disorders that sometimes can mimic poison ivy and a contact dermatitis. So if it's, if it's, I'd probably give it a couple more days, you know, 10 to 14 days out if you're still having problems. That's the point where I would probably go see somebody about it. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your calls and questions about any kind of health care issue. Let's go to Joe from Carrollton has been patiently waiting. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. 
Yes, sir. What's your question this morning? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think the last call of what count on Simmons. Uh, I want to talk about cataracts and um diabetic and cataracts. You too. Yeah, cataracts. Uh huh. Right. Uh huh. Um, like you say, I'm a vet too, and I'm going to, and uh, if you have, anyway, the later um the doctor said that um uh, seemed like I might be um getting cataract or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you would tell me I uh, should, you know, I mean, I might need to go and, uh, you know, work, let them work on that or whatever. I would just want to get the, uh, you probably need to do it before the last of this year. Yeah, cataracts, cataracts are pretty common as we get older. Basically, the lens in our eye, that's the part that's, it's actually a cool structure. It basically allows us to focus on different things. If you think about like how a camera works or, uh, you know, how it sort of focuses on things that are near to you and far away. And that lens, to be able to do that, um, to allow that light to come in, it needs to be clear. So all the light light needs to go through it. But it also needs to be... um, um, bendable and it's it's not like a, a hard glass lens it's it's a lens that's bendable but as we get older there's two things that happen to that usually one is that you can particularly if you've been outside a lot like myself you know when you're younger you can get uh, that that lens will get cloudy from all of the damage from the sun and there's not really a way to reverse that at all um, another thing that can happen is it gets really stiff and less bendy, and uh, that causes us to lose the function of being able to focus on things. So if you've, you know, when you get up to around 60, 70, maybe 80 years of age, most people Mm -hmm. will say if they have complaints about it, you know, getting that regular eye exam is good because sometimes they can see those cataracts when they look in your eye. And um, and that's just those little cloudy portions. And basically, if you're having symptoms, they'll sort of creep up on you slowly, and you may not notice it. But a lot of people will say, you know, I just don't drive at night anymore because it looks like these. It looks looks like a starburst. It looks like like bright lights bother you. Right. Are we about it? Yeah. That's the only time at night. You know, like at night. Uh. You know. And uh, well, one of them uh, kind of, you know, itchy, you know, stuff like that. But other than that, to me, I'm just saying, I don't know. I'm just saying, what the down? If I don't get it within it, it, it uh, yeah, you, uh, you could pro- you could probably it'll it'll get worse with time, but it's slow. And um, as long as your vision's good and you sort of know what to avoid, like you said, driving at night, that's a common one that people say, yeah, I just don't drive at night right now. Um, now, you don't want it to get to the point where you can't see, you know, during, particularly during the daytime, but um, yeah. and they can sort of help tell you, you know, your vision's getting a little worse here and uh, having those follow-ups with them. But sometimes people will delay this, you know, six months, a year, maybe even a couple of years before they have them replaced. Um, so it's not something that's emergent or that you would have to get done immediately, but you can, you know, just talk about them about when the best time would be. And basically, they basically take out that lens and they put in a new one. And the cool thing about that is it'll be corrected to your vision. So unless you're reading something that's close to you, you won't have to wear glasses. Um, so oh, okay. it's 
Yeah, it's actually pretty nice. Most people, and I'll tell you this, most people who have it done, particularly those who have waited a little bit longer, they'll say, you know what, I had no idea what I couldn't see. And usually things are much brighter uh, to them after they have the surgery and they can see a lot more and uh, and it's a pretty it's it's the surgery's been around quite a long period of time so the the complication rate's actually really pretty small um, and um, but yeah you don't have to rush into that uh, you can you can probably wait a little bit depending on what's okay. going on I one other question is uh, okay yeah. it's not for in house uh, do you, you don't have to go in like hospital like most uh, most eye surgeons do that at, in a outpatient surgery facility. In other words, you'll go in for the surgery, and unless there are complications, you can come home the same day. Um, oh. Yeah, so it's usually an outpatient surgery type type situation. It may be at a hospital, but you know you'd be I coming home. She told, she told me they do it in the house in the clinic. Well, you. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of a lot of ophthalmologists will have that. Right. I don't want to hold you up with long, but look, what is the downfall? You know, just is a complication could that be from you know? Yeah, yeah, and they can talk to you about that. You just need to ask them, hey, what's the complications of having this procedure? And they'll tell you. I mean, usually it's things like infection or you know a a mechanical complication with with how, how they put the lens is? in. The diabetic, what about? Uh, yeah, plenty of di- plenty of people who with diabetes have this, and they do just fine. But um, oh. that's one of the things you know that you know with with sensitivity to infections, having diabetes right. that you have to watch out for, of course. Okay. All right, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Sir. Yes, sir. Good luck to you. Yeah, a lot of people out there have cataracts, so that's something that's very common uh, to a lot of people. So that's a that's a great topic to uh, talk about, and it is something that does sneak up. There's a couple of things that people don't realize what's happening. High blood pressure is one of those. It sort of sneaks up on you most of the time. People don't have any symptoms with that. Most people think, well, my blood pressure can't be high until I have uh, you know chest pain or a headache or I feel tired. Um, sometimes it can. It can go up uh, gradually um, to where you don't really notice it. So that's a, that's a good thing to bring up. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about healthcare issues and had some great ones today. And it's always nice to have things from all over the state and uh, all over the body. And that's what we've had today. You can always email us. Do want to uh, mention that the email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. And if you can't uh, catch the program in its entirety, or you want to go back and listen to it, don't forget you can go to our website, uh, mpbonline.org, and look at archive programs. Or even better than that, you can download our podcast. So whatever your podcast app is, just search for Southern Remedy on MPB Online, and you can listen to those on your drive in and out and whenever is most convenient for you. Let's go to the phones again. Let's go to Carl from Pearl. Good morning, Carl. Yes, sir. I had a question. Um, I have a doctor. I see a doctor, and um, I'm, I'm scared to ask my doctor about this. Okay, I've been taking Norco for the past, I don't know, 25 years. And um, about five years ago, they stopped giving me Ambien. I don't know. I was using Ambien to sleep. And uh, like they're saying, you can't take those, those two shouldn't go together or something. Is that? Have you heard yeah. that? 
Yeah, and uh, so we learned a lot about um, about opioid uh, narcotics, and then uh, what things can can be a problem if you take other things with them. So you know, Norco is a medication that's used for pain, uh, most yep. often acute pain. You know that you have just for a short period of time. Some people do require it for a longer period of time, and then Ambien is a medication. I know you you, you know this, but it's uh, yep. for for sleep uh, for insomnia, and both of those those are good medications, but you have to sort of manage side effects in those. And one thing that we know now that if in patients are taking both of those together, there's increased risk that you can have side effects like over uh, somnolence. You can uh, get sleepy to the point where you don't wake up. It can actually uh, increase some of the same uh, side effects in Norco and by taking the Ambien. So that's probably the reason. Sometimes you can get around this by using different medications or different modalities, either for the pain or the, the insomnia. So there may be some alternatives to that that they can try, or they might can decrease the dose uh, of one or, or more of those. Um, but it really, it's it's very similar to what we do with uh, you know patients that are taking more than one medication. So. A lot of time you can, you know, you may seem like the medication is doing fine, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, what's going on? Because we do get from time to time from ongoing studies, uh, they can identify that, that certain medications, particularly when used together, there's a lot of side effects. And uh, you, you don't sound like you're old, but uh, as we get older, there's more of those too. So, uh, you know, after the age of about 60, you can, uh, those side effects become more pronounced and more dangerous. And in fact, there's a something called Beer's criteria for uh, geriatric patients of medications that can cause problems uh, in their age range for geriatric patients that don't really cause that many problems in younger individuals. Okay, let me ask you one more question. Okay. I'm, I'm- I'm just, I'm just turning fifty. I'm just turning fifty. Um, uh-huh. I was in a. I got shot when I was a teenager, and you know, in my face and head, and I got. I'm, I'm totally blind. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to ask my doctor about, uh, about marijuana, like smoking marijuana. Yeah, like the medical marijuana. Yeah, or, or that. Yeah. Well, or, so, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you might want to check into that, particularly for chronic pain, because that's one of the situations that might benefit you. And I will say probably, you know, people will argue about the modalities to take it. Edibles seem to be a little bit more consistent in what you get in your body. But if you're you're not comfortable talking to your physician about that, you might want to look into other physicians who are, uh, you know, certifying individuals to receive a medical marijuana card and then sort of check that out. But it's always a good idea to, to approach your physician about that. I was just scared about being turned off of my pain medicine, my Norco, you know, I've been taking that, like I said, for 25 years. Right, right. Yeah, and it, you will need to, you know, I'm sure they're probably testing, you know, there's there's the the chronic uh, opioid use now, particularly in the state of Mississippi, we have some uh, some rules that we have to, to check people uh, periodically, like yeah. their urine for those other medications and metabolites, um, and that's that's just the law. And um, right. so that you probably need to tell them about that, about how you're using marijuana. And I would probably go the medical route if you're planning on doing that, just because that's more, right. you know, upfront right. and everything. Okay. Okay, thank you so much. All right, Carl, thank you for calling. We're going to go to uh, 
Now, our next caller is Wilma from Memphis. Good morning, Wilma. Good morning. I've got another cataract question. Okay. I've been treated for macular degeneration for about two years, and recently they said I've got cataracts. And my ophthalmologist says I could not have the cataracts removed or I would go blind. Do you agree? Um, I'm not, yeah, it's sort of hard to say again because I'm not an ophthalmologist about that, but I think if they're telling you that and you do have max, there, there are some reasons why, you know, it is a very common surgery, but if you have other problems, other medical problems, there may be some very good reasons not to get that cataract surgery um, that, you know, in macular degeneration might be one of those. It it's probably has to do with it interfering with the uh, the what's happening in the back of the eye and the, mac, the, the macula. But, um, yeah. Well, would you I, suggest I, getting a second opinion? Sure. Yeah, I think that's fine, particularly somebody who's a retina specialist. Um, because macular degeneration does involve the retina, that's who I would. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing. I'm seeing a retina specialist. Yeah. 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 Get. I, that's never a problem. I mentioned that earlier. Uh, you know, second opinions. I think sometimes the perception is by patients that that's a bad thing. Honestly, I think almost all physicians are are open to that. I think you know, patients sometimes don't want to. Uh, you know, they think that it might hurt the, the doctor's feelings or yeah, they might, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But, hey, look, you want to get the most info that you can. And you know what? Doctors ask second opinions all the time. If I don't know something, I send somebody to a specialist to get a second opinion on what I'm thinking. So it's really no different than that, than me consulting or sending my patients to somebody else so that they can get that information. But, yeah, I would I would definitely do that and just to see – you know, what the reasons are and, and what the risk is. Um, and uh, somebody else may give you a different, you know, opinion based on that. But it's somebody who's a retina specialist who has a lot of experience in that area, I think, would probably be the best person. Okay. Thanks a bunch. Have a good All day. All right. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. Yeah, the eye, eye, eye surgeries, uh, it, you know, when you think about the eye being so important to uh, to everything that you do in your vision, um, it's always a good idea to make sure that you've got uh, the, the best um, treatment for things that you might be faced with and that you follow up on that. And uh, I know it's it's hard. Uh, hey, I get busy too, and it's hard to, like, follow up with those appointments, uh, even if they're routine appointments. But things can creep up, and it's always, always, with every medical thing that I can think of, it's always better to catch things early than it is to wait. And the best way to do that is to go to somebody who does a thorough exam and thorough checkup that might involve, involve some labs uh, in a way that can pick up on those things and uh, and get you the treatment that you need because that's really important. And I know you may be feeling fine and not want to go do that, particularly for some of these other things like uh, mammograms or eye exams or colonoscopies. But those are very important uh, screening tools that are designed to pick up on things very early and get you the best treatment. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Southern Remedy is produced by Kevin Farrell, and the podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. You can tune to MPB Think Radio every weekday morning at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.